Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at montrosechurch.org. Have a great day. Amen. These guys are good. It's like a whole lot of testosterone up here today. I'm sure what's going on. Hey, thank you. I was, I was, yeah, you can applaud that. I had uh, so much to do with, uh, you know, the work. Yeah, I, uh, I was just asking before I came forward, uh, do we have a picture of the baby to put on the screen? And they said, no. I, don't. I know. But you can see me later. I have a few. <laughs> Natalie K., just so you're, you know, no. And if you're keeping score, that's two grandsons and two granddaughters. So it's the perfect balance. The world is, you know, all balanced out now. Although that uh, second grandson, he's not... He's not thinking it's a great plan. I mean, there was just a moment ago, he was the entire center of the universe. And now everyone seems to be preoccupied. So, what triggers you? I mean, we could talk about a lot of things this morning and we could trigger you. Want to talk about politics? Ha 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 ha. We could trigger you. Even the fact that I said, let's talk about politics, has triggered some of you. <laughs> what triggers you? What is it that upsets you? What is it that gets your attention? What is it that gets you going? Because that matters. That indicates something about what's going on inside of us. It indicates something that's happening in the way we think. So really, two questions this morning for you to ponder as we kind of dig into Galatians 5. What triggers you? And then the second question would be this. What weighs you down? So if, if you were to just do a little, you know, metacognitive thinking this morning, you know, that means thinking about what you're thinking about. If you were to just sort of step outside yourself and think about what you're thinking about, what triggers you and what weighs you down? Because we could go through that you know, a list, and we mentioned politics, we could talk about COVID, we could talk about the crisis in the world, we could talk about things going on in your own inner world, we could talk about things going on in the circle of your family. But somewhere in there, you know and I know that there are things that we think about, there are things that, that go on inside of us that weigh us down, that, that we feel the weight, and, and we're really good as a culture at being weighed down. I heard this the other day, I, I think it's kind of interesting little fact, but until about 150 years ago, human beings traveled at three to four miles an hour. That was top speed. And that with the rush of the way we move now, that alone creates an incredible pressure on what it means to be human. And that's not even taking into account what information does to us. Can you imagine 150 years ago what it took to get information? I mean, it, you got bits and pieces and scraps of information spread out over a long distance. You were hungry for information. Today, we are overwhelmed by information. We're good at being weighed down. We're good at it. 
We're pretty good at being triggered. Not a single amen. Wow. So this is going to be one of those Sundays where I sort of bare my soul and, you know, I say stuff and you're going to be out there going, yeah, that's, yeah, wow. That guy's a mess. You'll just be sitting back there like, yeah. Some of you drove here this morning. We're easily triggered. Wow. So when I was thinking about this conversation, you know, and thinking about this whole series, attitude matters. And so if it, once you kind of get past, you know, the graphic and then you think about what are we talking about, we're talking about the book of Galatians. And I was thinking as I was preparing specifically for this weekend uh, through, you know, Friday and Saturday, and I was thinking about this, man, we're going to talk about grace again. <sighs> and then I realized, well, we're doing the book of Galatians. And if you're going to talk about the book of Galatians, you're going to have to talk about grace every time because that is what the letter is about. It's about a church that Paul comes to and he says, listen, I've got a gospel of grace. And they, they receive the gospel of grace with great joy and celebration. And then some folks from Jerusalem come, the Judaizers, and they discredit Paul and say, why are you listening to that? That's not the gospel. The gospel is about rules and legalism and, and regulations and structure and measuring yourself and measuring others. And they start to consider that, you know, hey, maybe we'll leave the gospel of grace and we'll embrace this gospel of Judaism, this gospel of legalism. And so Paul just gets his pen out and he writes this letter. And he says, listen, if somebody, chapter 1, if somebody preaches you a gospel, any other than, anything other than the gospel of grace, it is not the gospel. And then he gets really strong. Even if an angel from heaven were to preach to you a different gospel than the gospel of grace, it is not, for that reason, the gospel. I didn't get this from any human being, he says. I got it directly from Jesus Christ. I am a person unnaturally born. I met Jesus face to face, and he said to me, your way of living... And Paul, having been raised and lived and excelled in this system of legalism, this gospel of Judaism, this gospel of judgment, was freed into the gospel of grace. He didn't know it existed. In fact, the Jesus who taught the gospel of grace was the very Christ he persecuted. And that was the conversation. Who are you? I am the Christ whom you persecute. Oh. And now Paul, being being freed from the gospel of legalism and Judaism and born into the gospel of grace, he's saying to the Galatians, you were born in the gospel of grace. Why? Why would you ever want to go to a different kind of gospel? But we're good at being triggered and we're good at being weighed down. It's one of our best things. I don't know about you, but I don't concentrate or think about being triggered. I just am. Amen? I mean, I don't get up in the morning and go, you know, today I'm going to work harder on being triggered. I think I'm going to go to Starbucks and be annoyed. I'm just planning on it. Because I will get behind the person who's never been here before and doesn't understand what is happening here. And they will be asking questions. Oh, what's in that? You need a nap. I said app, not nap. I don't 
think about what it means to be triggered. I just am. I don't think about what it means to be weighed down. I just am. So, so let me give you some things to think about. Because I think this has something to do with being weighed down. The injuries we do and those we suffer are seldom weighed in the same scales. I like that one. Aesop. I might make a choice. I must make a choice every time I speak a sentence. I have to try to choose the happier way of saying things so that my own words will not weigh me down like stones. Ugh. You know, there was a time when I was writing this sermon, I was looking forward to preaching it. And then I started reading stuff like that, and I was like, I don't really want to preach this sermon anymore. Because at first, when I was thinking about judgment, I was like, yeah, I don't, I'm not very judgmental. <laughs> this is one, finally, that's not going to just be right down my alley. I won't have to be the poster child for this particular sermon. And then... I kept reading. God doesn't want us to carry anything that's unnecessary because it will weigh us down and it will hinder us from what He's called us to do. Yep. Isn't that true? I mean, how many times do you get up in the morning and the, and the list of things, the things that are triggering you and weighing you down, so preoccupy us? I mean, how seldom do we get up in the morning and go, I am a child of the living God. God has poured out grace on me. He's invited me to pour out grace on others. He's invited me to go out into this day. And in this day, He has invited me to be the living being presence of the kingdom of God on earth. And He's going to lead people into my path that I'm going to get to care about and love and have sensitivity to. That's who I am. That's what I'm about. That's what the kingdom of God is about. I don't know about you, but what I do is go, well, I'm going to need to go get the gas in the car, and it's probably gone up again, and I don't know. I just Maybe I'll get a Twinkie. Oh, yeah, I'm not supposed to be eating sugar right now. I'm supposed to be, you know, well. <sighs> Anybody else? And what triggers me and what weighs me down distracts me from what I'm created to do. To, to be about God's work and about His business. Divine love does not weigh us down. It doesn't carry God's servants captive. It doesn't enslave us to the lowest depths. It raises us. It supports us. It magnifies us above all liberty whatsoever. You know, in just a chapter, Paul's going to get into a conversation, and that conversation is going to go like this, but the fruit of the Spirit... Understand the contrast he's making? He's talking about grace and judgment. And he's talking about, if you just want the whole summary of the sermons, it's because if you need to leave early, then you'll know what this is going to. <laughs> judgment weighs us down. Grace frees us. And he's going to come to this contrast. He's contrasting grace and judgment, grace and judgment, grace and judgment. And he's going to get over there, and he's going to say, but, but the fruit of the flesh is, and he's going to give a long list. And then he's going to say, and listen to what he says. But the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Against such things there is no law. There is no law. And I don't know about you, but when I read all that, I'm like, oh yeah, that's me. That's my, I mean, he might as well be painting a picture of my inner world. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, faith. Oh. 
And why? What triggers me? What weighs me down? What is keeping me from that life? So as I was thinking about this and thinking about judgment, I came across an article by a, a, a young lady. Her name is Lisa Murray. And what she wrote was so powerful to me that I thought I'd just steal it and read it to you. She gets very specific and into the details of this judgment. As I move through my day, my week, I recognize a thousand little moments, moments where judgment rises and begins to claim my heart spaces. Judgment is never satisfied, invading and stealing any measure of grace, any kindness, any compassion, becoming a cancer to my perception and a disease to my relationships. Scripture is clear that we as believers should judge. We should discern and declare and assess. We should figure out what is right and what is wrong, and we are distinguished between that which is righteous and congruent with God's Word. Yet, Scripture is equally clear that we should not judge, condemn the worth or the value or the character of another individual. Somehow, I, I find myself thinking, I can't believe they're allowing their child to do that. I can't believe they don't understand there's a better way to talk and live. I can't believe who they are. Those people must have more problems than I thought. My judgment, I found, was harming my life in more ways than I realized. Judgment was creating for me an illusion of safety. But in a reality, it was keeping me from the intimacy and connection that I greatly desired. Judgment weighed as an anchor, preventing me from claiming my belovedness. And instead, it left me with the shame of my own soul deficits. My distinct lack of enoughness. My blindness towards the sacred journey of becoming. Judgment kept me from claiming the destiny that God has for me because it darkened my vision. It clouded my compassion. And it enlarged my cynicism to the point that it spread as a vicious disease within my heart. Let's go home. I mean, that is so powerfully true and real and convicting. How natural it is for me to judge in a thousand situations. And it does create the illusion of safety. I feel like I get it and other people don't. Amen. I mean, don't we feel like we get it? Come on. We wouldn't think what we thought if we didn't think it was right. But that backlash of when I judge, it steals away my own sense of worth because here's the reality. God pours out grace on me. And then he invites me to pour out grace on others. Again and again and again and again and again. And the struggle is real. The struggle of what it means to love and how to love. And we're not the first people that have been going through this. In fact, if you just step back from the narrative and you talk about the world into which Jesus came, he came into a world that was defined by this legalism. In a few weeks, I'm taking a group to Israel. (laughs) 
And uh, it is phenomenal to me when you are in country, because when you're in country, uh, it's a largely secular culture now. You know, there's a lot of folks aren't, you know, observing, don't really believe a lot about a lot. And yet, when you go over to the elevator sometime on sundown on Friday night, between sundown Friday night and sundown Saturday night, you don't push buttons on the elevator. It's a Shabbat elevator. It's, and I just think about, what system is it? that 2,000 years ago created, out of the Ten Commandments, 618 laws. And folks today who don't really still believe in any much of anything, they still observe those rules. Which also means you can't get a bacon cheeseburger while you're there. Not even at McDonald's. Not even at McDonald's. Because legalism is so powerfully binding. So into that culture, Jesus came. And he did all the things he wasn't supposed to do. And you talk about efficient. When you get up, when you wash, what you eat, where you go, how you walk, who you talk to, who you don't talk to, who's in, who's out, who you're to love, who you're to hate. It was all defined. You didn't have to ask any questions. You didn't have to misunderstand anything. And I don't know about you, but sometimes we as a culture, we go, you know what needs to happen? We need to get rid of things that aren't right. And we need to do things that are right. Let's get a system. Because we love systems. Systems help us measure things. They give us a root and an anchor in space. And along comes Jesus. And he's just doing nutty stuff. His disciples are eating on the Sabbath. They're gathering grain on the Sabbath and eating. They're not observing the fast. He's not doing the ritual washings. But worst of all, he keeps hanging out with people that aren't in. They're out. He keeps loving people. Who are, and what happens as a result of this? I mean, the, the Pharisees and the Jews believe that if you do this, the world will fall apart. If you start relaxing the legalism, everything will break. So much so, their fear of this legalism being lost, this system being lost, is what ultimately nails Jesus to the cross. But what do we observe? We, deserve, we, we observe genuine transformation. That's what we observe. We observe Matthew, the tax collector, writing the gospel. We observe Mary Magdalene, the one of whom seven demons come out, being the one that greets Jesus upon his resurrection. We observe complete transformation of life, thought, processes, commitments, care. That's what we observe. So that when the, then those same Pharisees come to Jesus and go, hey... What is it really about? He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. I like this joke. There's only one sermon. You do know that, right? We just repackage it every week. Amen? And here it is. Love God and love others. Everybody got it? If you'll go do that, we don't ever have to do this anymore. Because ultimately, you've heard every sermon now. You've heard every single one. Now, I know there's some nuances we're going to work on, and I'm not encouraging you to, you know, not come back. I'm just saying, <laughs> isn't that really true? At some level, isn't it really true? Doesn't Jesus say, upon all the law and the prophets hang these two things, love God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. So why do we keep doing this? Because we can't figure out what it means to love God with all our heart and what it means to love our neighbor. And just so you know, the scribe that asked the question asked the second question. <laughs> 
And who is my neighbor? Because, I mean, immediately he's like, oh, so I've just got to love people. You're going to have to give me some clarity on that. All right. There was a guy going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. He fell among thieves. He got beat up. Priest came by, passed by on the far side. Levite came by, passed by on the far side. Samaritan came by, gathered him up and loved him. Who was the neighbor to the man who fell among thieves? The one who showed him mercy. You go and do likewise. Now let's go back. What triggers you? You have a built-in something that tells you who needs mercy. Amen? The question is, what do we do with that built-in mechanism that triggers our granddaughter was born Friday afternoon. We couldn't go to the hospital, which I'm not in favor of. But she came home yesterday afternoon, and so we made the drive from here to Orange County. Let's just say that from here to Orange County, there were some triggers going on. Can anyone feel my pain? And I wanted so much to be helpful, to help people understand <laughs> the fast lane indicates by its very name that you want to go fast. Why would you want to go slow in the fast lane? Help me out with this. And sometimes I really think your horn can help educate people. <laughs> it's there for a reason. But you know, when you stop and you start to think, triggers are opportunities. Triggers are a moment that God has asked me, what will you do with this moment? What will you do with this moment? Because God's poured out mercy on you. That song we just sang, sank. that song we just sang, sometimes in Texas, Consonants don't matter all that much. When it says, I saw you, but I still went to the cross. I saw what you did. I saw how many times. I saw the chronic failure. I saw it over and over and over and over and over and over. And my response to that constant failure and disregard and disrespect, <laughs> I went to the cross. And I had you in mind. When I rose from the grave, I have you in mind, your story, your life, the redemptive story of God. And I'm to pour that out on others. So Paul now in chapter 5, he's making an argument. He's making the argument that, listen, you can contrast these two things and you'll find some very interesting realities. So listen to the powerful language Galatians 5.1, it's for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You've fallen away from grace. 
For through the Spirit we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. Now listen to this sentence. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Number one, love brings freedom and legalism brings bondage. Amen. The language is very powerful. Do not be burdened again with the yoke of slavery. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Do you feel free? Is that a part of it? Is that a part of life? Is that a part of the reality? Do you, what weighs you down? What triggers you? Because it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. He intends for us to be forgiven. He intends for us to bring our burdens, confess them, repent, which means to turn around, and to be free. Are you? Are you living in freedom? If you're not living in freedom, what is it that's holding you back? What is it that binds you up? Because legalism, it creates bondage. It creates encumbrances. It creates weightiness. Amen? I mean, I don't have to go far to talk about that. Probably don't need many illustrations, do you? Some of us got up this morning, we turned on the news, or we opened our phone and read it, and we felt weighed down. And we felt weighed down because either we feel helpless about what needs to be fixed, or we feel angry because we see what ought to be done and what's not being done. Because any time we are living in this space of where we're trying to fix everything, it weighs us down. And that's not just true of politics and COVID and big giant things. That's true in our own homes and our own families and our own relationships. Amen? Because what so often binds us are things we have absolutely no control over. Just assess what triggers you, what weighs you down. How often is it something you can do something about? Even into our own inner world. You know, health stuff. The longer you live, the more you find out, I'm just, I'm just along for the ride. My body's doing things on its own. I have no idea what it's doing. It just informs me from time to time. Amen? And that's true emotionally. You know, we say crazy things. I'm upset, but I don't know why. How does that make sense? I'm sad, but I don't know why. My emotions have gone somewhere, and my thoughts have gone somewhere, and they're making me feel sad and overwhelmed and burdened, and I don't even know what they are. I have to stop and assess. Well, what am I thinking about that's making me feel so bad? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Why? Because we keep surrendering things to Him. I can't handle it. I can't do anything about that. I can't fix that. It's not mine. Don't be anxious about anything. Instead, in everything by prayer and supplication, make, let your requests be made known to God. Number two, love unburdens us and legalism binds us, weighs us down. He brings up the yoke of slavery right in the middle. So you do know that the contrast in the New Testament is simply this. You have the yoke of slavery, which is what Jesus thinks about when he's talking about Judaism and legalism. That's why he stands on the last great day of the feast and he says... But take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm meek and lowly in heart, and you'll find rest unto your soul, because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Legalism weighs us down, and love frees us. Number three, love is contagious and legalism is addictive. 
Love is contagious and legalism is addictive. Um, if you practice legalism, uh, the more you do it, the better you get at it, and the more you want to do it. Let me illustrate this a couple ways. Um, and, and I'll talk about my children uh, because they can't defend themselves and they're not here. <laughs> but also because I don't want to talk about us because that would be awkward. You know, my kids have various dietary things going on. Like, we used to just eat food. Hey, Amen. Is anybody else in this situation with your children? We used to just eat food, but we don't just eat food anymore. It turns out that there's stuff in food that we were unaware of. I mean, I grew up when the stuff in food was like butter, but that's not how it works anymore. Now there's things like gluten and soy and there's all kinds of hidden sugars, and there's all kinds of things going on inside of the food. Amen? Amen. And this is my observation. Once you start down that path, it's addictive. I mean, once you get a thing going on your food, then there's some other things going on your food, and then there's some other things going on your food, then there's another thing and another thing and another thing. Now I just don't cook anymore. It's just the odds of putting something on the plate. So you just like peel a carrot and lay it down there, but carrots have sugar. It's a root vegetable with a lot of sugar. You can't, don't be putting raw thing, that will get you right there. You can't have that. But in a broad sense, isn't that true? Once you start down the path of legalism, it's addictive. Well, this works, and then this, and I feel safe, and I'm building this, and I'm going to do that. And the more I do it, the more addicted I become to the process of it. Love, on the other hand, is not addictive. It is contagious. Now, of all the people on the planet that ought to be talk, able to talk intelligently about things that are contagious, it ought to be us. Amen? Now, I'm going to use a metaphor, so don't go out of here and say, Pastor Dave said about COVID. I'm just using it as a metaphor. Everybody okay with that? Yeah. Folks online, not talking about COVID except as an illustration. Love is contagious. We've been doing everything we can not to be contagious. Amen? So it turns out, if you want to spread love, guess what? You can't keep your distance. You're going to have to get up close. Number two, you're going to have to take off your mask. I'm not talking about COVID. It's just a metaphor. I got a new phone this week. I'm very behind on technology. My iPhone 8 just quit working. These guys down front, they're all like, iPhone 8. Oh, my God. <laughs> they all just had a collective sigh of pity for me. Like, how do you even function? <laughs> yeah, I gave up the ghost. So I got a, a new iPhone 13 Max. Yeah. I have no idea how to operate that. You know what I miss? The button. I miss the button. I'm having a hard time. And you know what it wants to do? It wants to see my face so it will open. Guess what? I'm wearing a mask. My phone does not, my phone that contains all of my helpful information does not recognize me and will not let me in. And it turns out it's kind of true of us, isn't it? Metaphorically. Because for love to spread, we've got to take off the mask and be authentic. And we're not. We're so good at not being authentic. How you doing? Great! 
<laughs> good, I'm good. We're all broken and flawed. Amen? In fact, that's what really connects us. That's how love really gets spread, by owning our brokenness. I got to get in your space. I got to be authentic, and I can't be sterile. I can't be sanitized. I'll have to let some of the messiness of relationship actually happen if love is going to be contagious. But we don't have time for that. We don't have time for that because we have a great busy schedule of all of the things that we're working on while we were created to be ambassadors of Jesus Christ in this world, to build his kingdom alive and well on earth. But I don't have time to do that, and I can't get in a small group, or I can't connect, or I can't make that phone call, or I can't send that card, or I can't embrace that person, or I can't come to church because I'm busy. But listen, legalism is addictive, but love is contagious. Number four, love anticipates God hope. Legalism, it's, I'm so late. I'm so far over time. Good. Yeah, I see you. That's, for all the people that heard those people say good, I, I feel your pain, and I'm not going to keep going and going. Because other people are like, oh, hey, 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 don't encourage him. <laughs> love anticipates God's help. It just means this. We need God's help to love. But we do wisdom and judgment all on our own. We don't need any help to judge others. Amen? We trigger, we judge, we feel the weight of the world, we feel the weight of the things around us. When we judge, it weighs us down. Trigger, judgment, weight. It all goes together. It all goes together. Number five, love faithfully practiced counts. Legalism is always divisive and destructive. He says then this, and it's a startling statement. Circumcision and uncircumcision count for nothing. Here's what matters. Love given faithfully. Here's what matters. Faithful love. Love each other. 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 Love your kids. Love your grandkids. Love your in-laws. Love, 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 love. It's what matters and what makes a difference. In fact, it's the only thing that matters and makes a difference. What triggers you? I'm guessing that has a great deal to do with what weighs you down. And when we're triggered, it's an opportunity. It's an opportunity. Here's a person that needs some mercy. Here's a situation that needs mercy. Here's a situation that needs grace. God's poured out grace on me. I want to pour out grace on others. Paul, as he fights to build the kingdom of God, is saying, listen, choose faithful love. Choose it over and over and over and over and over and over and let it infect you. Let it infect your home and your family and your friendships and your congregation and your community. Infect it. Get close. Spread it. Just be as contagious as you know how to be in every situation. God, we're inviting you to teach us what it means to love you with all of our heart and our neighbor as ourselves. And we recognize that as we trigger, as we find it difficult to love, we recognize that those things are weighing us down. As we, as we give those speeches about what ought to be, as we talk about people who ought to know better, would you remind us that we are creating a place that may feel safe, but it works against the very nature of the heart of God. You are the agent and ambassador of change, conviction, redemption, 
forgiveness, reconciliation. It's you. It's your power. So would you teach us, in these closing moments, as we sing again these words, would you hear our response, our very personal response? You've told us that your word is a mirror. And when we look into it, we see things in ourselves, and we ought to pay attention, not just go away like someone who hasn't seen. So do your work in us, and teach us, Lord, to build your kingdom in biblical loving ways, we pray in Jesus' name. Everybody said together, will you stand as we respond to the word? Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at www.montrosechurch.org. Have a great day.